Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Believe in Bears podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. What is up, Bear Down Nation? You are listening to the Believe in Bears podcast. I am Cameron Lee. And I am Joey Christopoulos. And today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The wait is finally over. Football, it is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at BetOnline. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always that online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Cameron, it is week two. Bears, Giants, what are we talking about on the pod today? Joey, I just happened to be uh, checking out your Twitter, and I noticed you no longer have affiliated with the uh, Believe in Bears podcast. Is there something that we need to talk about? Are you accusing me of scrubbing right now, Cameron? <laughs> are you are you scrubbing your Twitter page? Are you trying to uh, get on another? What are you trying to join? Like believe in Packers or something? Look, I had thirty five pictures of me and you, you know, riding the tandem bike, uh, high fiving, um, <laughs> you know, riding a dolphin, t- tandem dolphins, banana boat style. And look, I took them off because I'm putting them in a photo album. Cameron, you know, we thought this was all going to be quiet. We were going to talk about Mitch Trubisky all week. Turns out that is not so. We're talking about an unlikely player, Allen Robinson, contract dispute. Lot to unpack there. I just want to hear your thoughts on the whole situation. I mean, first of all, you, we wouldn't be talking about the Chicago Bears if we weren't riding high off of a victory and then immediately coming crashing back to the surface as our arguably best player is in the middle of a major contract dispute heading into week two, feeling like we've got a game that we could win. So I just want to go ahead and say that. Thank you for bringing us back to earth. I feel like a Bears fan again. All that being said, man, this is a, this is not a fun situation. Uh, obviously, the Bears want Allen Robinson on the team. Well, at least Bears fans do. This, uh, you know, you got to pay this man, don't you? Am I wrong? You got to go out there and pay that man. Extend this man. Tell me about it, Joey. What do you think about this situation? You're not wrong about it at all. And there's two things going on behind behind the scenes that are pretty obvious. One, the Bears paid Eddie Jackson. They paid Cody Whitehair. They just gave Jimmy Graham money and Robert Quinn to come onto the team this year. Paid Eddie Goldman. And they have set paid Danny Trevathan. They have set this precedent over and over again about if you show out on the Bears, we will pay you. And Allen Robinson, I think, is looking around. And asking himself, you know, when is this deal going to get done? The other thing on top of it is I think of all the players that we've heard about in the offseason training camp about doing things the right way and being the leader and being lauded with all this praise is Allen Robinson. So Allen Robinson seems to be front and center, one of the faces of the franchise. So I'm sure he's asking himself, you know, what's going on with that situation? And then on top of it, you watch Allen Robinson lay out a couple of times and make some receptions in week one. Maybe he got on the phone with his agent after the game and was like, hey, can we accelerate this, please? Yeah, that's one of the things that's really, really puts the Bears in a, in a compromising position is that on one hand, you know, the Bears have made a lot of efforts to sort of establish Allen Robinson as the man of their culture, if you will. When they talk about, you know, the face of the franchise, doing things the right way, you know, these offseason workouts, who's putting in the work, who's showing up, who's being productive on Sundays, it's Allen Robinson, you know, and to go out there and, and to do everything the right way, he's proven that he should be the type of guy that is, is being paid 
at this next level and is being extended. You know, he's saying that his heart and soul's here and his, and his faith never wavered or whatever. You know, he's saying all the right things. But on the other hand, and this is never fun, in Chicago, we all know it always comes back to the quarterback. And I feel like you guys are probably tired of hearing us talk about this. But, you know, Ryan Pace, believe it or not, is probably not a stupid person. You can have whatever feelings you have about him. I'm still a little pissed that I am uh, got released. But, you know, I'm over that. But, um, but seriously, he's got to think about his job. And he's got to think about the future. And I don't blame him for being somewhat cautious when it comes to paying superstars, uh, if if his thought process is, you know, maybe next year we're going to have to go out and get a quarterback and we're going to have to go and pay someone. And hopefully, you know, we drafted Anthony Miller. Maybe he balls out. Maybe he proves that he can be a wide receiver one and we can pay him on a heck of a discount compared to Allen Robinson. And then we have that money to go and spend and reallocate elsewhere. And maybe we go get a quarterback to replace what we've got this year. We don't know how this is going to turn out. So I Although we had a great week one, I think we're far from being sold that, hey, this Trubisky-Foles thing is going to be, you know, the answer moving forward. So it's got to be in the back of Ryan Pace's mind and everyone's mind. So you got to see it both ways. It's, it's, a, it's a tough situation for sure. But here's what I will say, and maybe you can relate to this on the, on the human level. And on, from a hypothetical standpoint, let's just say that you are right and Allen Robinson is the heart and soul of that locker room. And he represents himself so well in front of the cameras, and he probably does on the practice field too as well. So think about it. A group of guys, camaraderie, text messages, first guy gets paid. A-Rob texts, congratulations. He texts back, you're next, bro. You're next. Next guy gets paid. Congratulations, dude. It's just a matter of time. You know, guy shows up at practice. Eddie Jackson's got that new money. Everyone's, you know, patting him on the back, and he just goes up to Allen. He's like, got to be – Allen's got to be next, right? Yeah, it's got to be Allen. And it just never happens, and it's dragging out. It just sort of feels like the scrubbing of the social media is the perfect kerosene to throw on a Bears fan's fire because it went ablaze where we're flipping out now. And everyone's like, is he going to be on the Patriots or not? Trying to figure that out. And I'm with you on allocating dollars – as judiciously as you can. But this to me is very similar to a Jimmy Butler situation where you trade Jimmy Butler for people that you think will one day become all-stars when Jimmy Butler is already an all-star. If you trade your number one receiver or let your number one receiver walk in free agency, you will then have to fill that void with someone who can equal him. And that isn't always the easiest thing to do. For sure. And again, I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do. I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of Ryan Pace. And he's not in an easy situation here because they can go out and extend Allen Robinson. But if they don't have a quarterback that's up to their liking and, you know, they end up eight and eight or whatever again, who's to say that there's going to be that quarterback available for them and that they'll have the money if that person would be to arise in free agency. So it's just really a, it's just a, it's a tough situation. Personally, on a personal level, I say, hey, this guy has shown up. He's done everything right. He's proven to be the person that you've asked him to be, and therefore pay him. I'm, I'm kind of the mindset. Keep everyone happy right now. Let's, let's you know, face the challenge that's right in front of us. And keeping Allen Robinson happy and, you know, on the field and performing and the team, you know, and sort of the good and the right state of mind, I say that's probably the best way to go. It's just – you try and think about it from from the headspace of of Ryan Pace and understand where it is that he's coming from. And 
I don't envy those guys. You know, we all think that it would be so fun to to sit in that room and and play GM, but it, it, that's a that's a very difficult job. And I think he's probably probably trying trying his best to figure out the best way to handle this. And I think ultimately it comes down to them probably paying Allen Robinson, but it's gonna it's gonna maybe take some weeks and some discomfort and the scrubbing of some Instagram pages. But you know, that's kind of, I guess part of the process. We were traumatized by Joho doing that a couple seasons ago because then he was out the door. Bears fans got triggered by all that. And to be very fair to Ryan Pace, I think that you are right. I think Ryan Pace and the Bears organization would love to have Allen Robinson here for at least the next three to four years until he's, you know, 31, 32 years old. But again, yeah, not I'm unenvious of the cap crunching that's probably going on and the decisions that you have to make. Realistically, if you could take a guess, how far away do you think they are in negotiations. Allen Robinson's, I think, due to make $14 million this year. There's a lot of guys in the league, DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, Cooper Cup, go down the list, that are getting paid and now are looking at 20 annual. How far away do you think the Bears and Allen Robinson's team are to maybe having a contract come to a conclusion? You know, I think Allen Robinson is a guy that is probably worth about the $20 million mark. And, you know, it's hard to say what the Bears have already gone out and offered, but that's where I would be putting it is is right around that twenty that twenty million mark. I, I don't think that he is the top wide receiver, and I don't think he should be paid as the top wide receiver. But he's a top five, in my opinion, just in his consistency and his workload. And he's not a distraction other than this. And you know, he's just he's the type of guy that has has proven that he's worth that money. So you know, if I were him in his camp, I think that conversation starts at the twenty million mark. And obviously. You know the the mark is get the market's reset every year. Every time that a new uh, marquee wide receiver hits the market, they go out there, they get paid, they basically reset uh, re- reset the goal for wide receivers or for that position group. But I, if I'm Allen Robinson, I'm thinking twenty million is probably about about the benchmark. And look what's happening right now too. I think you know six months ago when sports stopped, I think everyone went, "Wow, no one's going to get paid now." No one, you know, baseball players, sayonara to the $300 million contract, you know, running backs aren't, you know, instead everyone's getting paid because let's be honest, maybe something in 2021, 2022 down the pipe, there's going to be a hard market correction. And all of a sudden, you know, those $20 million wide receivers, you know, that contract just doesn't exist for anyone, maybe even like the best in the game. So if you're Allen Robinson, of course you want to apply the pressure now hopefully figure it out. I'm not a capologist, but wouldn't you like to think that because they have that Eddie Goldman money, they can front load some of it and they can make it in a way where like by the third or fourth year, he's only making 16 million. And by that 16 comes around, Danny Trevathan's off the books and you front loaded. So he makes what maybe 22 this year, 22nd year, then 17. I don't know. So you're not a capologist, but you've got all of that ready to go. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And also, I mean, it's the NFL, man. Who's to say, you know, those, the third, fourth, fifth years of those contracts, it's virtually made up in a lot of these instances. So, I mean, they'll go out there, you front load that thing, make sure that he's paid through his prime, make sure that he's taken care of for these next three, two to three seasons. And then we'll figure it out at that point. I think that's really, in my opinion, that's the way I would want to approach this is go out there and pay these players for now, and we will deal with it down the road. If that means having to offload him, if that means however it has to be done, we will address that and cross that bridge when we get there. But right now, the man's in his prime. Pay him. 
Yeah, and pull the shenanigans with the signing bonus. Get creative. I mean, the one thing I hope that they don't do is franchise him. That seems like kind of a Bears thing to do. I think that just drags this story out a little bit longer. Then he all of a sudden, maybe he doesn't show up for the first week or two of camp next year. You know, Cameron, I want to ask you, you know, Bears fans, we've been talking about this all week long, and you, you mentioned the word distraction. Help, help maybe dispel or maybe help validate a theory that something like this affects a football team heading into a game. Big effect, little effect, no effect. What, what do you think is probably going on in that locker room right now? You know, I think that it's impossible for it to not have some amount of an impact on a on an emotional level, on a morale level. Not that, you know, that these guys are going to be so crushed or so down. That's not the way it's going to work. But obviously it's something that's on – uh, people's minds because they, you know, they've established that Allen Robinson is a leader and he's someone that is looked up to in that locker room and is someone that, you know, is basically an example. If, hey, if you do the things the right way, the Bears will take care of you. So I think on that level, everyone's kind of looking to it as almost as, you know, just a case or an example. And so I think that part might have some sort of an impact. But when it comes to the field, I don't think it's really going to be a distraction at all. You know, this entire team has way too much to worry about for their own job security to let outside factors permeate onto the field. This is not a team there where, you know, they had 14 wins and were playing for the Super Bowl last year and all of a sudden, you know, you know, they feel like they can let these small things get in the way. This is the team that every single person out there is fighting for some amount of job security or, you know, just the relevance of the team and this organization. So I don't really think that they have the opportunity to let this thing impact them. And I don't think you'll see it on the field. Everyone's just going to go out there and ball out if you will. And, you know, try and make a name for themselves and try and continue to be successful. But I, I don't think, you know, these guys are professional and they will leave off the field issues off the field. Cameron, thank you for saying that because, you know, I just don't buy into that whole thing about it being a distraction. Like, honestly, like, Robert Massey's going home at night and before he turns out the light, he's like, man, I hope A-Rob gets paid instead of like thinking about the mental reps that he needs to do to hold off Lorenzo Carter and the Giants. You know, they're, they're thinking about their assignment. They're thinking about what they need to do and they care about their brother. They care about that guy on their team, but I'm telling you, this is business and not a single one of them is worried about another guy's contract. They're worried about getting their job done. And let's roll a couple days away from Bears Giants week two. Giants lost uh, week one to the Steelers, put up a decent honest effort, looked like in the first half, but then the Steelers really started to look like the Steelers in the second quarter and they really took care of business. You know, a lot to take away, but, you know, hard to get a real measuring stick with this Bears team and that Steelers team, you know, with the Giants coming into town. I feel pretty optimistic right now. I'm feeling pretty good about this matchup. How are you feeling, you know, right off the bat, uh, you know, first quarter, first series against this Giants team? I'm feeling good. Like you said, I'm feeling optimistic about this about this team. We saw the Giants. They had some upside. They had um, some definitely some some highlights uh, in their game against the Steelers. Some things offensively. You know, Daniel Jones didn't look bad. Uh, their running game obviously struggled a little bit, but they were you know they played a competitive game against a good Steelers football team. So I think there's some some things that they can take away and and come into this game feeling pretty confident, but. You know, I think there were also some pretty glaring holes in their inability to run the ball and inability inability to make big plays, you know, when they needed to. I think uh, that as a Bears fan, there are a couple key things that we need to do 
and, and we'll obviously go through those. But, you know, if the Bears go out and execute a game plan, and this is some real coach speak, if they execute their game plan, they should win this game. But it's really that simple. I'm going to throw some more coach speak at you. I see opportunity. I mean, I, I, have, I have a few concerns here and there about some different elements of the Giants team and obviously what we do and what we failed to do in week one that we need to get better at that I hope that we see in week two. But again, I see if we go out there and we play a pretty decent, clean game and, you know, maybe put a little bit more of a balanced effort together for fourth quarters off, four quarters offensively, maybe get about 15% a little bit better uh, defensively. I don't think there's any reason why the Bears can't win this game. And it's time. We did pretty well last week. Cam's keys. Your keys were dead on last week. You got three more for us. I got a couple I'm going to throw into the bin as well. But let's dive right into it. These are Cam's keys to a Bears victory on Sunday in week two versus the Giants. Give us your first one. The first one, they say that defense wins championships. So on the defensive side of the ball, we absolutely must bottle up Saquon Barkley. That is so much easier said than done. The Steelers were able to do it. Uh, on on Monday Night Football when they held Saquon Barkley to a total of six rushing yards on 15 carries. You heard that right, six rushing yards on 15 carries. They did so by overloading the box and basically trying to hit Saquon Barkley in the backfield as often as possible, making him make cuts sooner than he would like, making him be uncomfortable. And they did this by loading up the box and entirely selling out on stopping the run. They said, Daniel Jones, your second-year quarterback, beat us and, and try and beat us over the top. I, I think that that's a, that is a formula that can be successful. The Bears also have a very strong defense like, this, like the Steelers did, and I think that they can replicate similar results. So I like them selling out to stop the run, selling out to contain Saquon Barkley, and I think that's really the formula uh, for beating the Giants defensively. What I noticed also during that week one game was it seems like, you know, the general consensus is Saquon Barkley is most dangerous on his first cut, right? Because once he plants, his legs are so strong, he plants that leg, moves direction, and then he's off and running. It seemed like at times for a good portion of his runs, he had to make that first cut two or three yards behind the line of scrimmage, which obviously I don't think is a recipe for success. You know, from your vantage point, do you put that on the Giants' offensive line? Do you put that on, you know, the Steelers? I mean, the Steelers look nasty. They look fierce, right? So is that a little bit more on just the talent of the Steelers? Or, or the, Gi the Giants' offensive line just really didn't do him a lot of favors in those run sets? That's a combination of both. Obviously, the Giants having a lot of continuity issues on their offensive line. They've got new guys playing in there, a couple of different rookies. So they didn't look like a strong offensive line by any means. Obviously, there's just some gelling that's going to that's gonna take place. But also, like we mentioned, with the Steelers doing everything that they can to be in the backfield as soon as possible, forcing Saquon to make those cuts earlier than he would like, having to make that jump cut or you know, put your foot in the ground and, and step laterally or whatever it may be in the backfield is essentially taking away running lanes that you're hoping to be hitting later on down the field. So when you're having to make those jumps, those cuts in the backfield, there's just wasted time. That is just time. You know, the, the amount of time that you have to hit the hole is so small and any wasted movement is just wasted time, wasted opportunity to find a hole or a seam that may be there for just a split second. So I think that it, a lot of it goes to the Steelers and their willingness to dial up the pressure and go all out on stopping that one element of the Giants attack. But the Giants offensive line definitely has a long way to go. Which brings us to, honestly, 
my first key of the game. We're a little bit on the same frequency here, and I'm just calling it the screen pass. And here's what concerns me is everyone's talking about got to bottle up Saquon Barkley. The Steelers did a great job of it. They're one of the elite defenses in the NFL. The Bears want to be an elite defense. They didn't look like it in week one. So what concerns me is this concept of we sell out and they can burn us on screen passes and get those huge chunk yards. I mean, two seasons ago, Saquon was able to rip off some pretty impressive runs against us. I know that was a couple of years ago, but you know, you get him in space, he can be a game breaker and it can be at a crucial moment of the game where they can, you know, maybe be struggling off offense and flip the field. Conversely, I wouldn't mind if the Chicago bears maybe tried a couple slip screens here and there, we didn't really see a lot of that action week one. Again, another team that was like committed to the run, 149 rushing yards. The Giants are going to have to probably have that on their whiteboard about something that they need to stop. I think the screen pass is going to be such an integral play on both sides of the football. And I wanted to ask you, what is the key to the perfect screen pass? I mean, when you've got a defense like the Bears that this week they're like, we are going to get after the quarterback. We got to get after the quarterback. We got to bring pressure. Doesn't that sort of set up a situation like the screen pass perfectly to exploit? Kind of walk us through some of the, the mechanics of, you know, a good way to execute a screen pass and a good way maybe to defend it. So on the offensive side of the ball, a couple of the key tenets of the screen pass is one timing and not just timing in terms of the execution of the play, but also the calling of the play because the play is going to be most successful when you have that geared up defense that is, like you said, trying to get to the quarterback and is dead set on getting in there and getting that sack. So when you want to dial it up at just the right time, it's the kind of play that you need to just set up. It's not necessarily, hey, first down, first play of the game, although obviously there's times for it, and a lot of it just depends on the defense. Um, so setting it up, you want to make sure that you've established a run game or established that uh, that drop back pass game and then go ahead and sprinkle that in there. And then from the offensive line standpoint, you know, when we're talking about the running back, the slip screen, everything has to do with the offensive line and their timing and the timing of them it's typically about a two second count. And what you want to do is set back and sell that you're in your traditional pass protection. So your offensive line, typically it's guard, center, guard. And so your front side guard to the direction that the play is going is going to set. It's typically one Mississippi, two Mississippi or something like that, you know, and we're going to set, set them up, make sure that we get that defensive lineman coming up field fast and aggressive and then he want, we want to dump him as fast as we can and make sure that he has no opportunity to chase this ball down from behind. And then all of our linemen are going to get out and get to their lanes as quickly as possible. But it's what's really important in the block beyond the timing of it and really important that no one allows their man to come back to the play from behind. Once that part is done, uh, then we want to make sure that we have equal or we have proper lane distribution that we're all blocking the right area of the field that we're running in in good space we're giving the running back room to work and operate off of the blocks and that as an offensive lineman when you get in space this is like a little not a trick of the trade if you will but this is something that like is really specific to offensive linemen when those big guys get out in space when they've got those little guys that they're running downfield 15 20 yards after that could be scary for the big guy. You know, you you could look you could look like you're on ice skates out there. What's really important for those offensive linemen is that they don't guess, they don't dance, they don't try and break down and shimmy, and try and and keep up with that smaller defender. 
trust that the running back is following you, that your timing is right, that you're at the proper distance from one another, and he will set up the defender based off of your positioning. So rather than you as the offensive lineman making the running back right, let the running back make you right. You're going to run straight at that man and trust that that man is trying to get to the running back and so therefore will run into you. If he dances around you, you've won the rep. And so I think that's really the key thing as an offensive lineman is about timing, it's about getting out in space, and it's about not slowing down and breaking down, trusting that the running back will make you right and going through guys rather than trying to dance and be something that you're not because you're not that cute. That was awesome. And sometimes, uh, what, the running back will put his hand on your ass, right, and just push you forward, and then all of a sudden now you are just the, uh, now you are just the chaperone uh, to a first down. Yeah, man, if you're getting felt up by your running back, if you're in space, it's a good thing. What he's saying is, hey, man, uh, there's something over there that you may not see, or there's something that th- – there's, there's the bad guy. You be my human shield, and let him feel you up because it normally means good things are about to happen. And, you know – you just take it and you, and you smile and you say, all right, man, I'm glad that I could, I'm glad that I could make that sacrifice for you. I'll go ahead and, and get hit. You, you go celebrate, go, go dance in the end zone and uh, I'll catch up. I just need some oxygen. Have you ever done the one Mississippi to Mississippi and then like verbally just went oops and then just like slipped him loose. Like you messed up on purpose to like really sell it. Absolutely. You want to, yeah, you got to do whatever it takes. So it's really important that you do not let your, how do I explain this? You don't want to let your defender out uh, out in front of you because if he's if you release him like to the front of you, then he has the opportunity to chase down that play because he would be out towards where the ball is going. So we want to make sure that we're keeping him. You oftentimes like to lose that rep behind you, but make sure that ball gets out so that he's not going into the play. So if I'm playing right guard, I'll oftentimes try and shuck my man to the left and then get out on our screen to the right. If that makes any sense. This is an audio medium. I hope this makes any sense to anyone at home. I'm, I'm, I'm soaking it up. I love it. And I hope I, we get a chance to see it on Sunday. I just feel like, you know, we've been talking to guys that have been covering the Giants here in the Believe Podcast Network. You know, we've been looking at our own team. And both sides just keep saying, as long as we get to the quarterback, if we get to Daniel Jones, if we get to Mitch Trubisky, we got to do this, got to do this. And it just feels like that there's a pocket for some opportunities there on both sides of the football. So I hope that we can contain that and sniff it out. And then, you know, so like from the linebacker's perspective, sniffing out a screen, basically, you know, you just got to have that, try and have that gap control. See if you can like recognize it as quick as you can, like, especially if they go into pass pro. Yeah. On the defensive side of the ball, it's all about discipline and staying home and not rushing up field and evading your gaps just because you had a hunch. You know what I mean? You have to definitely stay in, stay in place and make sure that you're being disciplined at all times. If you happen to be that defensive lineman who, you know, thinks if you think it's too easy, it probably is. And that's a, a matter of that discipline and knowing, hey, once uh, once it's you've gone too far, that's when you have to stop and retrace. And when you retrace, oftentimes those, those guards or those interior offensive linemen will lead you to back to the ball. And then at the defense, uh, at the second level, uh, our linebackers, we want to make sure that, you know, if you do happen to be pursuing upfield, the moment that you see that that the offensive linemen are evading, that they're out, that's when we, again, have to stop and retrace. And as the secondary players, uh, when you're trying to break down and make that tackle like we were talking about with the offensive linemen, one of you has to basically 
take on the blow and sacrifice, make the sacrifice and basically absorb the hit from the offensive lineman, if you will, because someone's going to have to take that person out. That offensive lineman, you don't want him running free downfield. So someone I mean, is basically going rocks, paper, scissors, Rochambeau. Uh, is it like the loser of the kangaroo court that week? Like, I mean, who's the sacrificial lamb there? Who's the, who's the neutralizer? So, I mean, you know, for the Bears, we want to see Jermaine Effetti in space. If we get Jermaine Effetti in space, you know, one-on-one with with a linebacker, that's excellent. Someone's going to have to take on the blow for someone else to make the play. So basically, someone has to be the sacrificial lamb, if you will, and then the next guy gets to make the play. That's how it works. I could just see you now, Cameron, if we were on the same team together out in the field, just being like, hey, man, like, I just need you to be that guy. No, 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 no. It's going to be good, man. It's actually, you're, it's going to put you right there for the play. And I just walk that's back great. after getting trucked and just be like. That's crazy. Cause my entire life, I've been the guy that was like, no, man, I'll, I'll do it. No, I'll you, do it. You know, Cameron, what's your, uh, what's your second key? So as fun as it was to watch the complete, I don't know, Jekyll and Hyde personality of Mitchell Trubisky that, you know, what ultimately ended in the fourth quarter being, fantastic i don't really want to go through that again and i think a great a great way to uh, counteract that would be to finding the rhythm in the passing game early on setting up some simple concepts throwing the ball on early downs trying to establish that rhythm and confidence that ultimately came to life in the fourth quarter you know let's try and get that going like we mentioned in the past uh, podcast when we were talking about the game versus the lions ultimately it appeared that there was no real change we were making the trubisky was making the right reads early on it was really just a matter of executing fundamentals going out there and playing the right way and making you know just completing throws it was simple stuff you know the the throws didn't change and so we just want to see that early on in the game get that rhythm get that confidence and that will bode well for the offense moving forward just having that confidence and knowing that we have competent mitch fourth quarter mitch in the first quarter and that's the frustrating thing, right? Competent Mitch. That's all we're asking for. If he can just make what seems like the simple professional NFL starting quarterback plays, you know, we have a great chance at winning the game. And I think a lot of people would get off of his back, but yeah, again, that is another issue that is really going to come down to, you know, can Mitch make those throws? Because I thought for the most part, we called a pretty decent game from Matt Nagy's perspective in week one. You know, we were running the football. I thought when he was dialing up those pass plays, I think he was getting guys open. And just, you know, what, Mitch maybe missed four or five throws. Can he maybe perhaps connect on just two of those this week? And that would be an improvement and can help get us some points on the board. You know, my my, my key, and it kind of folds into what you are just talking about too as well with Mitch is, dude, I'm going to hammer it again. I did it last week, but I'm going to say it again. Second down, we got to improve on second down. We were two for 11 on third down. That's all we're talking about. We were 0 for 7 for about, I think, the first three quarters of the game and finally completed two conversions there. But again, I think it's these second down execution plays. And it's for me, it's a little less schematic as it was with Nagy and me week one. I think now it's more Trubisky, you know, executing on second down get out of those third and sevens get out of those third and tens we've talked about it before he doesn't have to be an elite quarterback elite quarterbacks convert third and tens we have to get ourselves as an offense in positions to succeed and i want to see on your same you know trubisky execute on second down i just want to see us you know make some things happen because i do think we want to establish the run 
I do think 60, 70% of the time on first down, we're going to be running the football. And then let's see what we can do on second down. It's a, it's a big part of the game, and it didn't happen last week. I want to see it again this week. That's going to be a huge part of it, and that's why I, for my third key to the game, was saying to avoid third and longs and to go out there and and to not get into that same position. The Bears were 18% third down conversion ratio or rating in week one, which was dead last in the league. And I believe they were 0 for 7 or 0 for 8 at one point. 0 for 7. Which, so that's that's not going to get it done. That's not going to get it done in any capacity. Hot take. So, Hot take. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm out here you know, breaking news. It's not good. It's not good, Joey. But, you know, when you talk about on second down and managing second down, every now and then second down is going to turn into third down. We need to avoid that at all costs. Basically, what we want to do is keep third downs manageable. If they're if they're going to occur, which they probably will, let's keep third downs manageable. Don't make Mitch win them. Let's just not lose them. If, if that makes sense, we. No, yeah, totally. You're you're actually saying it better than I am because it really is going to come down to now Trubisky handling those situations and winning those moments. Yeah, and it's not even we're not even talking about you know going out and executing third and eleven. That that's not what we're saying. It's if it's if we get to third and four, can we complete or convert on forty percent of those, fifty percent of those? You know, when it gets to fifty-fifty shot, we should win fifty percent of them, and and that's math. That's real math. You gotta explain it to him real quick because you know I just felt like he threw short of the sticks so many times on those third downs too as well, and I and I can't tell if that's him protecting the football or him just not really realizing the situation. Because I know that the play that they're dialing up has probably got a first down in there somewhere. Yeah, and I think a lot of that also comes back to what we mentioned before, just the confidence thing, you know. Doesn't want to make turnovers, doesn't want to make big mistakes, so what do you do? You take the easy route, you underthrow it, you know what I mean? And, and in certain situations, that could be even more dangerous. But it just, to me, it looks like at times, this is a guy who doesn't have the confidence to take the real shot, to, you know, get the ball in there and, and force it not force a throw, but make the throw that's going to win the rep, not just make the completion. Because it's almost like a, a it's like a a cop out, if you will, to to complete the pass but throw it short of the of the marker. You know what I mean? So we're not we're not here for half victories. We want the whole darn thing, Mitch. And and so that's what we want to do is just manage and mitigate and make sure that those third and longs those are few and far between. And that uh, that when third down comes up, it's not something that we have to dread as Bears fans. It's gonna be a lot of showers, Cameron. <laughs> yeah, right now, right now I'm at one shower for every half of Bears football, and we really need to to lessen that. I mean, one maybe one shower per game, but right now this, that's entirely too high. This could get worse. Go to BetOnline.ag right now, and 2.5 showers over under for Cameron in week two. And here's the dirty little secret about Trubisky, right? Where Awesome in the fourth quarter, went eight for 10, started the game four for 10. And then I think he finished something like 20, like 15 for 26. But let's be real. A lot of those completions, when his completion percentage wasn't good, were completions that were short of the sticks on third down. I think I can count maybe at least three off the top of my head. So those aren't positive plays. Like, great, like he's salvaging his completion percentage, but those aren't positive plays in a Bears offense. So I mean, I, I think that we definitely need to see him take some steps forward. 
And I do like that, you know, that the defense didn't play super great week one. You know, you focused on with bottle, bottling up Saquon Barkley, but I do like that we're still focusing on this offense here because I still think we need to see a lot more from them. You know, just real quick, do you think that they can maybe take a shot downfield? And, and, and if they do, who do you think they could try and feature uh, in this matchup against the Giants to hit them big? Yeah, I think that this Giants secondary is one that might actually be a little bit underrated, Joey. <laughs> you think they're a stinker? I think they suck. <laughs> okay, tell me how you really feel. I was going to say that I don't think they're that bad. You totally you totally influenced my take, mid-take. Uh, I think that they're, they're, they've got some explosive and dynamic guys back there, and it's not a group that I look at and go, oh, here's a bunch of weaknesses. We should be able to totally, completely and totally exploit them. But if there's a guy that I do like to pop for this Bears offense, and we talked a little bit about him last week, it's, and it's Darnell Mooney. I, I, like, I like Darnell Mooney, and again, kind of being the guy that's a little bit under the radar for a lot of people, and, and I think that you know there's going to be plenty of attention on Allen Robinson. There's going to be plenty of attention on Anthony Miller after his you know kind of coming out in that fourth quarter. So, you know, I would look for a guy like Darnell Mooney to to step up and pop and maybe be the type of guy that, you know, finds his way into the end zone this week. And you got so close last week. Darnell Mooney had that great catch in the middle of the field, and they're like, oh, they're starting to feature him a little bit. I think it's only a matter of time before that pick hits. And I do think that they can take some shots down the field. Look, I get it. They revamped their defense. You know, Blake Martinez, we've seen him before. He used to be in the division. They're going to have to deal with their pass rush a little bit, but I'm just not buying it from the secondary perspective right now from the Giants. You know, a lot of things matches up pretty well based on numbers from last year. You know, they allowed eight touchdowns to tight ends last year. That was tied for first in the league. They, have, they gave up the second most fancy points to wide receivers. They gave up, I think, 32 touchdowns to quarterbacks last year. They can be got. And I just think the Steelers did an interesting job of those quick rub slants and just getting the ball in the wide receiver's hands super quick. I do like our Bears skill players where I think for the first time in a long time, I think our skill players have some great yards after the catch mentality. I don't think that's something that we've always had in a Bears offense. So I, I do think that there are some spaces to make some plays and, and make some things happen. I do love the Darnell Mooney pick. I, w- I want to ride you with that one too as well because I do think people are going to be keying Anthony Miller down the field. Of course, you got to keep an eye on A-Rob. And maybe you can sneak Mooney you know, past a single high safety and get him downfield to maybe score a long touchdown. And going off of that, another thing that we noticed week one, we saw a ton of Ted Ginn on the field. But if you look at the numbers, not a whole lot of productivity. So I think that moving forward, we will start to see a little bit more of Darnell Mooney in that same role, but probably having a higher productivity, if you will, in terms of numbers. So I I would look for that. And I I think you're right. That's probably going to be the guy, if you will, that kind of pops and, and and makes a big play. And, uh, and sneaks up on this Giants defense. My final key of the game, and then we're going to get to our game score predictions. My final key of the game, it's so meatball, but honestly, I think this is the game in the week where we say turnovers. You know, Daniel Jones threw a pick in the red zone. The Steelers came back, and I think they got points off of that. You know, he threw another pick off a great play from TJ Watt, like a holy shit amazing play from TJ Watt. They got a touchdown off of that. And then when the Steelers had a turnover, you know, they couldn't capitalize that and turn that into seven. I just see two quarterbacks that are, you know, polarizing. The jury's out on them a little bit. Some offensive weapons on both sides of the ball. The Bears defense looking to improve upon week one. The Giants defense feeling maybe encouraged that they are taking a step in the right direction heading into week two. 
And I just think it's going to come down to a turnover battle. You know, don't make mistakes. And I just, I just fear that, you know, one or two mistakes, if we can win that turnover battle, which guess what? We won last week. You know, we did in the end. And I just think it's, it's so cliche, but in the end of the day, I think whoever wins that battle has got a great chance at winning this game. Yeah, we're looking at and we're looking at two different offenses led by two different quarterbacks where we're basically saying who can screw up less. We're talking about two guys that we're asking to manage the game, not win them. They're, so that's really what it's going to come down to. I, th- I think uh, I think you kind of got the right idea of it is manage the game, mitigate risk, don't make mistakes, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you in the end zone. Coming up on the Believe Podcast Network, our game show, Don't Screw Up. Uh, <laughs> you could possibly, what do we win? A football game. And I think that could be on the table for week two. Cameron, it's that time. We got it right the first time. We had Bears to win. We had Bears covering, or Bears as underdogs to win. Got that correct. What do you got this week? Bears, five and a half favorites. What's your final score? I'm going... Chicago Bears, 27-21. Ooh, and they cover. And they cover. So you like back-to-back 27-point performances. I do. I, it's just a, it's a lucky number, you know? Do any of those points come from the defense? Or do you think this is all, uh, you know, Mitch, three touchdowns, two field goals? No, I, I think we could see I think we could see a defensive tutty. You know, I don't know if you know this about Daniel Jones. He is... Uh, known for turning the ball over a time or two. He's what we used to call on the playground a bit of a butterfingers. So <laughs> I, I would look for the Bears to uh, to capitalize on some turnovers, on some mistakes from that young gun quarterback. We as Bears fans know what that's like. And I would not be surprised if we see an Eddie Jackson, you know, coming out and, and looking like 2018, maybe see him in the end zone or – or another Kyle Fuller interception, I, I would not be shocked at all if we see the Chicago Bears defense make their way into the end zone this week. I'm sending a big pile of grease uh, over to the Giants football bag uh, for Sunday because hopefully, yeah, them's be slippery fingers. I was going to go 24-20, but our good man Alex Marinoni, who came on uh, to our previous episode to talk some Bears-Giants, he said 24-20, but he wasn't able to figure out which team was going to be on the other side of that. So I'm actually going to go 24-13. This whole week, I've been thinking about the offense, how we're going to keep things going, bottling up Saquon, and I do think that we are going to get a strong performance from our Chicago Bears defense, and I think it might be tough sledding for our New York Giants in the first half, you know, maybe three or maybe six points in that first half, and then maybe they score a little touchdown, you know, third or fourth quarter, but I do like us to win. I do like us to win going away. I do like that cover at five and a half. Uh, 24-13 does not get the hit, hit the over under of 42 for the game. What's with these low over unders for the Bears? Come on, Vegas, give us a little, give us a little credit. Even though I'm picking them to go under, but I mean, do you really think they're wrong? No, not at all. <laughs> it's like those guys know what they're talking about. I, over under Halloween, me and you make a game prediction that has the Bears scoring more than 30 points in a game. I'm just not sure that we're gonna get there, bud. I don't think we're gonna get there either, man. Baby steps, maybe but I just don't see it happening. <laughs> it might not be a bet to put on the table. Bears-Giants coming week two. Bears are going to try and go 2-0. and Their home opener at Soldier Field. No fans, but hopefully still uh, they can pick up a victory there. Cameron, real fun episode. We're going to talk again right after. Hopefully a Bears victory, but take us home on another great pod. You've been listening to the Believe in Bears podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. For Joey Christopoulos, I am Cameron Lee. 
And uh, remember to bear down, Chicago Bears. You have been listening to the Believe in Bears podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.